Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Starting a new series today. Um, running with giants. Turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This book was written to Jewish followers. So if you think about it, it's written to Jewish followers. It was those who had been following the Jewish rituals, the Jewish tradition of worship, and then they put their faith in Christ and stepped out of that and because they were stepping out of that, they were experiencing some great persecution. And as a result of the persecution, as a result of the persecution, there was the desire and the opportunity to, to consider going back under the old way of worship with animal sacrifices and going back un, under the legalism of the law after coming out of that under the grace and the forgiveness and this final sacrifice of Christ. And so most scholars think Paul wrote this letter to the believers, the Jewish believers, and, and there's, there's some things that we're gonna pull out of this over the next several weeks. So go to Hebrews chapter 11, and this is essentially the cliff notes for the Old Testament. So if you wanna know what's going on in the Old Testament and wanna find out in 15, 20 minutes, go read Hebrews 11. And so Hebrews 11 verse one starts like this. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Another translation says, it is the essence of things hoped for. It's what our hope um, is made of. It's the ingredients for our hope. We just don't hope and hope. Our faith is the main ingredients for our hope. And it says, it's the evidence of things we cannot see. It's the proof of our faith. It says, through their faith, the people in days of old earned what kind of reputation? A what? A good reputation. It says, because of their faith, the people of old earned a good reputation. And then the writer starts to, to go in and list by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Sarah, by faith, and begins listing all these heroes of faith. And then when you get down to verse 33, there's good news. And it says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to Strength. They became strong in battle. They put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from death. Now, this is how we want our faith stories to be, right? When we're following Jesus and we're walking in faith, we want to be like overcomers in battle. We want our weakness turned to strength. We want our loved ones healed. We want every prayer that we pray to be answered in the way that we want it answered. That's how we think our faith walk should be. But you keep reading. 
you keep reading and it changes a little bit. It says, but, everyone say, but. There's always that. There's always going to be a but in the way, right? Just kidding. <laughs> but uh, you guys miss my dad jokes, I know, right? It says, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. It says, look, others, because of their faith, they were tortured. But they refuse to turn away from God, even though turning away from God would mean their freedom. They stayed in captivity. It says they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, made fun of. Others, their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins and sheep, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains and hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And let's be honest, like sometimes that's what more of what our life of faith feels like. It's like we're fighting battles and sometimes we're not overcoming them. And, and, but it says this, it says, all these people earned, there's that word again, earned what kind of reputation? A good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Everything that they experienced, everything they went through, those that received the fulfillment of the promise and some that only welcomed it from a distance, they were all faith carriers for us so that we would reach perfection through them, through Christ, because of his sacrifice. They were carriers of the faith. And so you and I, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, staying true to what, 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 what God has promised, who God says he is. We are carriers of our faith. And then it goes on to Hebrews chapter 12. So Paul has listed all of these great heroes of the faith, and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And so here's, here's what I want us to think about. All these individuals that we read about in Hebrews 11, and not just those, but all of the individuals that we read about in Scripture, these heroes, these giants of faith, and think about it from this perspective. It says that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses who have seen God move, who have experienced miracles, who have stayed true to their faith even when they didn't experience it. They stayed true to their faith. We are surrounded by them. And I got this idea of the series Running with Giants based on this little bitty book written by John Maxwell, like, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And, and he had this thought, if, if we can visualize that we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses as we're running this, this race of faith and life with the turns and with the hills and the valleys, and what if these heroes of faith could come down and run with us for a little bit, what kind of advice would they give us? And so I want you to just kind of picture that. Like, if we're surrounded 
what kind of advice would they come down and give us? I had this conversation with my youngest daughter, Amelia. She was wanting to know the difference between um, wisdom and smarts. And like kids ask like the, like the strangest questions. And I was trying to help her understand like wisdom is essentially learning from your mistakes. And we had this conversation of that sometimes it's better to see someone else mess up and learn from their mistakes instead of our own mistakes, to learn from their successes and replicate that. And so we have the opportunity when we look in scripture to learn from other people's successes and their failures and how they walked with God. And so this is gonna take us through most of the summer. And then on the last Sunday in July, we're gonna have another three for 10 because last year that was just so much fun. So we've got three individuals that are gonna share for 10 minutes a hero that they look up to in the faith. But I think that if we lean in over the next few weeks, we can, we can really learn from some old wisdom that really we could use in today's culture. Would you agree? And so we're gonna go all the way back, all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis. We're gonna take a look at today at, at one of the most um, familiar heroes, um, some of you may have even have seen church nurseries themed after this hero um, with all these cute little animals and a round boat with a giraffe head sticking out of the top of the roof. Who am I talking about? Who are we talking about? Noah, right? I have no clue, right? Noah. Um, and, and we're all familiar with the story of Noah and the flood. But I, I, I want to think about what would he say In Genesis chapter six, Moses is writing about the history here and he speaks about just how wicked the human race had become. Um, So much so that it says, like the scripture says that it broke God's heart to see how wicked humankind had become. And that because of their wickedness, that even everything they thought about was evil. And so he set out just to completely hit the reset button and just to destroy every living thing with a flood But then Genesis chapter six, verse eight says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah would be the one, he and his family would be the ones to hit the reset button on humanity. They would be the ones that God would renew his covenant with. You had the covenant in the Garden of Eden, and then you had the new covenant with with Noah once the earth was destroyed. And so we see that that Noah found favor with the Lord. Genesis 6 verse 9. Here's how Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with the Lord. So he found favor with the Lord because he was righteous, and he walked blameless with the Lord. And I think if he were to come down out of the crowd, out of the great witness that is surrounding us and give us maybe a piece of advice, he would say this. He would say that your personal walk with the Lord impacts your family. Your personal walk with the Lord impacts your family. Very few things are personal for long. We may think that, that whatever's done in secret doesn't impact anyone. But over time, whatever is done in secret impacts those that are closest to us for the good and for the bad. And it says that Noah was righteous and blameless. And he would say, your personal walk with the Lord impacts 
your family, Genesis 5, you go back, just turn back a page, Genesis 5 recounts the um, lineage from Adam all the way to Noah. Noah was the great-grandson of this guy named Enoch. And Enoch also says that, that he walked faithfully with the Lord for 365 years. He doesn't die. It says the Lord takes him with him, right? And Enoch had a son named Methuselah. Methuselah was 187 years old. Gosh, he was 187 years old when he had his son Lamech. And Methuselah lived to be 969, almost 1,000 years, okay? So this is Methuselah is the son of Enoch. Lamech is the grandson of Enoch. You guys following with me? Lamech was 182 when he had Noah, okay? Methuselah was Noah's grandson or Methuselah was Noah's grandfather, all right? Methuselah was Noah's grandfather. Methuselah's son was Enoch. Don't you think Methuselah probably saw how his dad walked with the Lord? Noah spent, excuse me, spent time with his grandfather, Methuselah, and probably heard about how his great-granddaddy walked with the Lord. And there was probably some inspiration there that caused Noah to walk with the Lord just as his great-granddaddy did. And, and Scripture says the exact same thing about Noah that it says about Enoch, that he walked faithfully with the Lord. And what we do, guys, listen, our faith and how we walk with the Lord affects our children it affects our grandchildren. It can have an effect on our great-grandchildren. I know some of us, like, we're just having kids. We're not even thinking about great-grandkids. I'm just trying to, like, get a good night's sleep, right? Jennifer's at a funeral for her grandfather in South Dakota um, this weekend. Um, he had 10 kids. Jennifer's dad was one of 10 kids. And he just turned 100 last fall, 100 years old. And we FaceTimed him on um, his birthday, and he was celebrating. And he was quoting more scripture at 100 than probably what I can quote now at 44, almost 45. As a matter of fact, at, at 100 years old, he has probably forgotten more scriptures than what most of us in this room can, can, can remember because he walked so close with the Lord, more so than probably any man that I've known, even, even my pastor. And this guy was not a pastor. He was a farmer. And we think it's only the pastors that walk close with the Lord. You can be a farmer and walk close with the Lord. You can be a teacher and walk close with the Lord. You can be a business person. You can be, I don't know, a package handler at FedEx and walk close with the Lord. And it impact generations because all 10 of his children are walking with the Lord. And more of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren are walking with the Lord than are not. And Jennifer sent me a picture of the tables. They, there, there were two massive six- and eight-foot tables just covered with journals and notebooks of scriptures and prayers and devotions. And it's impacting generations because... Our walk with the Lord impacts our families. And, 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 and I, I, I think another thing, I read this um, tweet over the weekend. It's called The Four Generation Fade. And it says, the first generation, parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Some of you guys may have seen this. Parents don't make a church a high priority for their kids. The second generation, 
these kids grow up and make it a less of a priority for their kids, third generation. Those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids, fourth generation. Those kids grow up with no concept of God. And it's a slow generational fade. How we walk with the Lord impacts generations. The priorities, listen to me, the priorities that you make today, they impact generations to come. And so I want to encourage you, don't just make church a priority, but make your walk with the Lord a priority. And so how did he do this? So how, like, what's, what's one, of the, one of the ways that, that Noah made walking with the Lord a priority? Genesis 6, says this. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded it. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. So God gives Noah his plan of what he's going to do. He gives him the plan of the ark and how it's supposed to be built. He gives him the instructions on how he's supposed to stock it with the animals and and all these things. And Noah just didn't go out and say, I'm just gonna kind of do it the way that I want to do it. It says that he followed every instruction and command that God gave him. I had a friend that was was manager at at a Chick-fil-A in Jackson. And some of the young folks that were coming in making salads, they wanted to be like the greatest chef. And so they started making salads differently than what Chick-fil-A had on their instructions. And he's like, we don't do that here. If you want to get creative, go to culinary school. This is Chick-fil-A. You make Chick-fil-A salads following the instructions that we give you. Noah was given instructions on how to build a boat, how to stock it, and he followed the instructions exactly. And I think Noah would say this, obedience is more valuable than age and experience in God's eyes. Obedience is more valuable than age and experience in God's eyes. When you look at the story of Noah, Noah was about 500 to 520 years old when God gives him the instructions to build the boat. And guess what he had never done before? He had never built a boat before. And a lot of times we will make excuses that I'm either too young or I'm too old or I don't have the experience when God gives us an opportunity. But Noah wasn't focusing on his experience and wasn't caught up with his old age. He was continuing to do what he had always done, and that is just be obedient. Doing some some research on this, I found this, this quote. It says, the Titanic was built by professionals. The ark was built by amateurs. The Titanic, what happened to it? Sank, right? The ark floated. And so some of us in here, some of us in here, we need to realize God isn't concerned with our age. He's not concerned with our age. He's not concerned how young you are. He's not concerned how old you are. He's just wanting to know, are you going to be obedient with what he's asking you to do? Because when we look in scripture, he used elderly couples to raise children, to start families. He used children to be kings and to be prophets. He's not concerned with your work experience. He called fishermen to be evangelists. He called a shepherd to be a king. He called a church persecutor to be a church planter. And so many times we will make excuses, well, I'm not old enough or I'm not young enough. At some point, it just flips, guys. 
Like, like for so long, I kept thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm too young to do this. I'm too young to do this. And then I woke up one day and I was like, man, I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to do this. At some point, you just got to Nike up and just do it, right? Stop making excuses. Just walk in obedience. Noah builds the boat and he brings all the animals and he and his family go into the boat. We know the story and right before it starts to rain. And, and this next verse always struck me as odd. Genesis chapter seven, verse 16. It says that the animals go into the boat and then Noah and his family goes in. In verse 16, it says, then the Lord closed the door behind them. The Lord closed the door behind them. And that always struck me as odds, like Noah built the boat. He could have put a handle on the inside of the boat and closed it from the inside. But I think that sometimes God closes doors on seasons that we can't close ourselves. That sometimes God closes doors on seasons that we can't close ourselves. And, and, and if you think about Noah, God's given him this instruction that, hey, I'm going to flood the earth and I'm going to destroy all of mankind. And Noah, it's going to be up to you to repopulate. You're going to be in charge. That's a hard door to close. I don't know about you. And knowing that what he's about to walk into, he's going to be spending all this time on the boat. The next time he opens the door, the world is going to look completely different. His role is going to look completely different. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a hard door to close. When, when I was praying about moving to start the church, um, I don't make decisions quickly. Those that are close to me know that, <laughs> that, that I don't, I, I belabor decisions because I want to make the right decision. And so... But sometimes that can be an excuse <laughs> and that can be masked, wisdom masked as, fear masked as wisdom, okay? And so in 2018, uh, my wife's father passed away in September and we wound up moving in the summer of 2019. And um, the day before my 40th birthday, I'm in the sanctuary of uh, our church and I'm walking and praying and uh, just reading scripture. And, and one of the passages of the scriptures that I read, a guy wants to come follow Jesus. And Jesus says, come follow me. And the guy says, let me go back and bury my father. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. My father-in-law died a month before this and I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, Jesus, are you trying to tell me that it's time to go? And I close my Bible and I put it in the seat and I begin to walk around and I get a text message from this pastor of this small church that I'd only known for a little while, just texted me randomly. He said, sometimes God makes things so difficult that you have no choice but to move on. God was closing the door on our family in that season, and it was hard for me to close. And sometimes I believe God closes doors on seasons that we can't close ourselves. And there's, there's a really good book, if you're into reading, it's called Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud, and that sometimes things have to end. God looked at all the creation and saw how evil it had gotten. He could have left it in that state. 
and we think there is mercy and grace leaving something in a broken condition, but it's not. And so Noah was a part of that season ending, walking into the next season. It says God closed the door as he went into the boat. And for some of you, that, that may be you. And I think the last thing that Noah would tell us, the last thing that Noah would tell us, because when, when, when he gets out of the boat, when he gets out of the boat in Genesis 8, verse 20, the very first action that we see the writer of Genesis record was one of Noah worshiping. It says this, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed as a burnt offering the animals and the birds that had been proved, approved for that purpose. And the Lord was what? Pleased. The Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. One of the things that this is the first time in scripture that the word altar is mentioned. And we know worship has taken place, but in this point, it's, it's taken place at an altar. And I think Noah would tell us that above and beyond like walking in obedience, above and beyond like ensuring that, that our, our walk with the Lord impacts our family, allowing him to close doors, how we're able to do those other things is to make worship our first priority. That that is the first thing that he does when he comes out of the boat into this new land, into this new season, into this new day, is to take a moment and to worship and to offer a sacrifice. And so some of you in here, like some of you in here, God may be closing doors on seasons. Some of you in here, he's wanting to start a fresh generation with you. Some of us in here, we're the results of the prayers of our parents and maybe grandparents. And so we're walking with the Lord because of the Methuselahs and the Enochs in our family tree. But I think some of us in here, you may be the Noah for the generations to come. That God is wanting to start a new work and a new covenant in your life for the generations that are to come. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to end a little differently. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Perfect timing, John. Come on, my friend. I want to have the worship team come back up. Um, and I want us to look back at these things. And, and which one, as you're running this life of faith, do you need to hear from Noah? Your personal walk with the Lord impacts your family. Maybe for some of you in here, like that's what you really need to focus on. You need to lean in and walk close to him. You need to have journals. You need to have quiet time. You need to have prayer time. Maybe God's giving you some instructions that you have to follow through on. And you're making the excuse of I don't have the experience. I don't feel qualified. I'm not old enough. I'm too old. He wants you to walk in obedience because obedience is more valuable than age and experience. Some of you in here, you may be in a season that the door is closing and you just don't have the strength or the courage to close it yourself. So I want us to stand. I want us to stand and, and, and we're gonna pray over these three areas. These three areas is like I really, I need a faith that's going to impact my family. 
I need to strengthen my faith. I need to have a faith that causes a good reputation, just like we're going to be studying about this summer. Or maybe there's a step of obedience that I need to be taking. And I keep making these excuses. God's dealing with me on this. Or maybe there's a door closing. God's trying to close it, and maybe you're trying to hold it open. You're putting a doorstop in there. But God's saying it's, it's a new season. It's a new time. And so here's what we're going to do. We've done this before during worship. We're going to do this at the end of service today as a response over these three things. As an act of worship. As an act of worship. And believing that this worship will be pleasing to the Lord. And it says that, that, that God renewed his covenant with mankind in that point. And that the promises God has made to you will be renewed. And just believing that there's an impact from a relationship with him. Believing that there's steps of obedience that we need to take. Giving him the opportunity to close the door that he needs to. And we will do this as we worship. So the band's going to play and then we'll go into a song and just decided to do this, guys, but I know you got it, right? And I want us to gather as we've done before, two or three, four or five, and pray over one of those three things and that, that we would have the boldness and the courage to do those things. Does that make sense? So if you're an A-team member and there's someone there that it's, this is uncomfortable for them, you feel awkward and you take on the uncomfortableness so they don't have to. There's not an A-team member, but you're a part of Avenue Church. This is your opportunity. Everybody's on the prayer team at this point as we bear one another's burdens, as we pray for each other and growing, walking with the Lord and walking with obedience and allowing him to close doors. So we'll take a few moments. I'm going to pray and then gather with those around you across the aisles if needed. And we're just going to, we're going to respond to this is what we're going to do. So Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your presence in this room. God, that we can learn how to um, find favor with you just as Noah found favor by walking righteous, walking in relationship with you, being obedient, allowing you to, to direct our path. And God, there may be some in this room today that they're faced with decisions and circumstances and directions that they need to go and convictions that they may have that your spirit has placed on them. But God, we come together as a body to strengthen each other, to hold each other up, um, to challenge, but also to encourage each other. And we just thank you for what you are about to do in these next few moments. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Spend the next few moments turning with those around you and uh, spend the next few moments in prayer.